0: awesome that we're sons and daughters of the king. The the God of angel armies has chosen us to be part of his family and he accepts us even as messed up as we are. I didn't say sit down. Golly. (laughs) Um, Kids, if you want to go to Sunday school, go to Sunday school. So that is uh, all ages. Chris, you can go to Sunday school if you want. Kids would love you. They do love you. Um, Right through that. Yeah. Oh, I love that excitement, Abby, running to go learn about Jesus, right? Yes. Even got a thumbs up. Awesome. Abby is the best child care person ever. (laughs) That's great. But also, kids are welcome to stay in here. Uh, We're we're glad to have you. So imagine you went to a wedding. And as they were given the vows, you heard something along these lines. He said, I promise to love you when I feel like it. And she said, I am going to be all yours every Saturday. Or the other one said, "I promise to give you some food sometimes, but I'm still going to keep my bank account. Um, and and if I want a jeep, I'm going to get a jeep. And well, that's okay because you know I'm going to have my job and keep my money. Um, and if I want to get something, I mean, just imagine that, a commitment that's not really a commitment. Well, we are talking about being all in with Jesus Christ, all in with God." And our relationship with God, listen, is even more important than our relationship with our spouse. And look what we do with our spouse, what we commit to in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, no matter what, we are promising to be there for our spouse. But often we don't take that same commitment and which should be even a greater commitment into our relationship with God. We come to God and we say, as long as you do what I want, as long as my walk with you is benefiting me, then I'm gonna, I'll keep going with it. But instead, we are in what we're calling our all-in series. All-in, we're looking at what does it mean to be all-in for Jesus Christ. Uh, And here at Common Ground, all-in, it's kind of—it's an acronym that we use to measure how we are doing spiritually. And we're not always going to be tip-top in every one. But it's a good way to check. And it's also something that we use to help us commit to God together and commit to one another. So, all-in, here it is. Our first week, we looked at it. A, plan A is that I share a better way and there is no plan B. Scripture says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way of death. Most people on earth are going to choose to go their own way, and the way is going to be death, separation from God, pain on this earth, and and eternal hell. And we are God's plan A. We are God's plan A. The second one, love God. Everything I do for God. The greatest commandment is that we love God. And that's what we exist for. We, we looked at that that week. What is our purpose? Why were we created? We were created to love God, not to do anything for him, just to love him, just to be. Isn't that cool? That results in doing things, but it's not religion. We don't do all these things to earn God's favor, to put God in our pocket, to make him owe us. Anything we do for God is simply an overflow of what he's doing in us. And so loving God for us at Common Ground and for any real Christian, loving God should be number one priority should be putting him first. And the way we love God is we get to know God. The better we know God, the better we love God. And so that's the next one, learning and living. We live out God's truth together. And that's what we're looking at today, learning and living. So you you may be familiar with this athlete. There was an athlete who, uh, when he was a sophomore in high school, was cut from his high school basketball team. And he went and he played on a different basketball team. I think he played JV and he just worked as hard as he could. He was somebody who didn't have a lot going for him. It looked like, but he had an older brother who they'd go out and he just wanted to beat his older brother in basketball in the backyard. And As time went on, he just worked hard. He became known for how hard he worked to be a good basketball player. Uh, You may know who I'm talking about, but he ended up winning six NBA championships five MVPs, NCAA titles, and two gold medals for the USA. He was somebody who, after he was cut from the team, the coach would come in the morning, and he would the coach would get there 7 or 7.30 every morning, and this student was in the, the, the gymnasium every morning just shooting baskets. And he had to kick him out almost every morning shooting baskets. You know who I'm talking about? Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, <laughs> Michael Jordan. and then, even when he got into the NBA, Somebody made a comment that his jump shot is what was going, You know, he had no jump shot and that was gonna keep their team from going on. And so for that summer break, every day he took 1,000 jump shots a day. 500 in the morning, 500 in the afternoon, 1,000 jump shots and that next year he had the best jump shot there was in the NBA. He knew what he wanted. He wanted to be the best basketball player that ever existed and I think he succeeded, as far as I know. I don't really follow basketball. But I remember growing up watching him the tongue out, you know, he became an icon, but he knew what he wanted. He knew what he valued and he valued being the best. Then he went on to try and and do baseball. I don't know how well that worked out, but I, (laughs) not very well, but I do know he worked very hard. Even then he went out to play baseball and he would, he would hit until his hands bled. Um, He he did his best, I guess. But the point is, as I look at that and then I look at my own life, what should I be pursuing And do I work that hard? Am I that ambitious to pursue my goal? And we already looked, our goal is to know God. That that should be our greatest ambition as Christians. Turn, if you would please, to Philippians 3. Philippians chapter three. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the seat you know, underneath you in the box underneath you or in front of you or behind you. And if you don't have a Bible, you can take that one home. So Rhiannon, just take that Bible home. That's yours now. <laughs> um, but you're welcome to take them. They're free. We're going to be in Philippians. We are committed here at Common Ground to going through the word. We are committed that you don't hear Derek's opinion or anybody else's opinion. We're committed that you hear the word because it's the word that changes lives. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in the sermon But we're going to be in Philippians 3, 7 through 16. Now, in three weeks, October 2nd, we are having a dinner here. Uh, It won't be extravagant, probably salad and pizza. But we're going to be having a dinner here on a Sunday evening, you are invited, if you wanna know more about Common Ground or you're curious about maybe committing to Common Ground, you think this might be your home, or you want more details, come that night for dinner. Uh, we'll be sitting at tables and we'll just be talking. We'll share a little bit about our beliefs, make sure you are you understand where we stand doctrinally. Uh, we're also gonna look at these all in, uh, each piece of the all in, And that's an opportunity for you to go, you know what, do I want to make this my church home? Um, Come, there's no pressure. You're not gonna be pressured into making it your church home, but it's a great place to learn. And so we're doing that intentionally right after this series, because this series, if you're paying attention, you should get to know us pretty well and where we stand with scripture. So Philippians 3, 7 through 16. Now the context of this the book of Philippians is written by Paul. We've been seeing a Paul quite a bit lately. And he's writing to this church in Philippi. Most of Paul's letters are to specific churches. This one is in Philippi. This is a church that was doing things very well. It's not a book full of corrections like you find in First and Second Corinthians and elsewhere. It's a book really full of love. He just starts out, man, I just love you guys and I miss you and I can't wait to see you. And so this is a church that's doing things fairly well. And here he, he's giving them a warning because some people are Actually, they're making the rounds. You see it in several of his other letters too. They're making the rounds to the churches and these people are called Judaizers. These are Jews who claim to be Christians and they're going to these new churches that are just being formed. You know, Jesus hadn't been gone all that long. And they're going in and saying, okay, basically to be a good Christian, you have to become a Jew also. You have to do the law. And Philippi, this was a Gentile area. So these were not Jews. So if you know anything about what it means to be a Jew, circumcision is what it means to be (laughs) you have to be circumcised on the eighth day and if you decide later in life to become a Jew you have to get circumcised as an adult and that's what these guys were doing They were going around saying, oh, you want to be a Christian, you got to go get circumcised. And some people were being convinced that they had to do that and they had to follow the law. And so he's he's trying to warn them against that, saying, no, no, your salvation is not based on anything you do. It's by grace alone. It's by God's work alone, through Jesus on the cross. Faith alone is how you're made right with God, not by what you do. You don't have to obey the law. Now, obviously, we know that once you fall in love with Jesus, you give your life to him, your life will change and you will look different. But he is talking about these Judaizers. And what they were doing is it looks like they were setting themselves up as the example. They were saying, now we have arrived, check us out, be like us. And so Paul, it looks like he gets a little bit ticked off right before this, because he's talking about the flesh. The flesh is is the body. The flesh is what's going on in this life. And let's just look back real quick to set the context. In chapter three... um, verse two look out for the dogs look out for the evil he's calling these false teachers dogs look out for those who mutilate the flesh he's talking about circumcision there those who are doing it for the wrong reasons he says for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and the glory of jesus christ and put no confidence in the flesh though i myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So here's Paul. He's giving his pre-Jesus resume. And as a Jew, nobody was better than Paul. He says this, uh, verse five, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, which was a, a higher tribe, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So it's kind of like he's boasting in his flesh, but he's not. He's saying, back before I knew Christ, I placed my value in these things. I was a great Jew. I was circumcised. He came from a good family. All these things he had, according to the law, blameless. And then he says this, verse seven, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. There's a theme throughout Philippians that starts in uh, chapter 1, verse 21, where he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul was a one thing guy. He was all about Christ. Whatever he had, he counted it as loss. So all those things that he valued, he counted as loss. So what is that for us? What is it that makes you proud of yourself? What is your personality? Especially in high school, you have to find your groove, right? I'm known as an athlete, or I'm known as uh, one of the smart kids, or I'm a stoner. (laughs) But seriously, remember high school, you find your spot and you go there, but then you move on and we have these things, what am I if I'm not this? You know, Athletes go through that after an injury. I I was defined as an athlete, but now I've been injured. I can't be a great football player, whatever it is, and they lose that. And he's saying, all those things that you count for you, because you you are blessed in some way, every single one of you, you have something you're really good at, and you know it. (laughs) And that may be the thing that you value. Paul says, all the things I had, I count as loss. As loss. Look with me at verse eight. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So first in verse seven, he says, past tense, everything great in my past, all my credentials. You know, this could be your your education, your degrees, um, the 30 people that you got to witness to that you saw come to Christ, whatever it is, all those past things that you chalk up, look how good I've been. He looks at all those, he says, I count those as loss. Past tense. And then in verse eight, he says, and currently I count everything as loss compared to one thing, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything else is loss. So he's giving us kind of a accounting. Those of you who, who understand accounting, there's assets and liabilities. And at the end, you have your balance sheet, and okay, how'd we do this here? We have, well, we made this much money, but this is what we went out, assets, liabilities. Well, he's counting these things as loss. They're not assets anymore. They're not even really liabilities. They're a loss. So at the end, you add it all up, and we have a loss, and all his strengths, all the things he's gained... He counts them as loss, compared to, compared to knowing Christ, compared to knowing Christ. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. This is still verse eight, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. Uh, that word rubbish is translated there nicely, <laughs> nicely. That that could uh, better be said dung or even more vulgar terms, but he was making a bold point here. All the things that were great, they're junk. There's kids in here, so I'm not gonna say the word that could be there. But, but that's what he says. It is, it is like junk. It is junk, all those things. But how do we do that even within the church? And especially, I would say, especially in the church, if you've been in the church long or whatever, look at all these things that I've done or look at my degrees. Somebody introduced, I am Dr. So-and-so. And I've, I've heard of pastors doing that. Oh, hi, Mr. Whatever. No, it's pastor or it's doctor, whatever. We want to be recognized as those things, but that's not Paul. Paul says all that is loss. And he could have boasted, but he wasn't. He didn't. Everything he said is loss compared with one thing, knowing Christ. This is in your notes. Again, I always forget to do this at the beginning, but if you're a note taker, there's notes on on the chair. If you like to do it on your phone, there's an app, Common Ground Carson, look it up. You can take notes on the app. Um, But the first note is Paul's greatest ambition was simply to know God, simply knowing God. Can you say the same about you? Honestly, what is your greatest ambition? Is it wealth? Is it a reputation? Or is it really knowing God? Is that your greatest ambition? We've seen this plenty of times, John 17, three, Jesus speaking to the Father. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. There's no greater value than knowing God. And how do we know God? How can we get to know God? John 1, 18. As this morning, as I was looking through, I, I had to add a couple verses. So they're not gonna pop up up front because I didn't even tell David I was gonna go there forgive me. John 1.18. This is a beautiful beginning of John where it talks about Jesus, God becoming flesh. In verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. In John 1.18, he defines why did God send God? Why did God send Jesus? To make God known. This world has been full of religions since the beginning. There's always been religions. It's only in the last 150, 200 years that atheism actually creeped in. Everybody always believed in a God and worshiped something. And so how do you know which is right? Unless God himself comes and says, here's what I look like. You know, uh, one of the disciples came to Jesus and said, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. He said, oh, you've been with me so long and you haven't recognized me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. See, that gives me chills. Jesus reveals the Father. Hebrews, Hebrews 1.1. Hebrews 1.1 says this. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's how he used to speak, verse two. But in these last days, which we are in, by the way, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He doesn't speak to us through prophets anymore. Now he speaks to us through his son. God is revealed in the son. And so the question is, how do we get to know the son? How can we best get to know God? The Bible. The Bible, the word of God that points to Jesus Christ. We are sold out that this is how we get to know God. Not somebody's opinion. If somebody says something about God, somebody says something about truth, say, show me. And we go to here. And there's some secondary issues. There's some things in here that we uh, could disagree on. And if if it's not clear, guess what? Then we have grace in the non-essentials, but we stick firm on the essentials here in scripture. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible not only lets you get to know God, but it shows who you are and where you stand with God. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says all scripture is inspired by God, meaning God breathed, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God or woman may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This is our tool. We live to know God. Our greatest ambition is to know God. The best way we get to know God is in his word, is in his word. Now, Back to Philippians. He continues to use this word "know." This word "know," and we talked about it last week it means more than just a knowledge of, although it includes that. It begins with knowledge. It begins with data. But it doesn't end with data. It's an intimate knowledge. It's a knowledge of experience. So you learn God's word, you get to know Jesus, and then you get to know him by actually putting this into practice, James 1: 122. "Be doers of the word, not hearers, only deceiving yourselves." The value is in we learn something about God, about Jesus through the word. We learn he's trustworthy and then we trust him. And, and our knowledge becomes goes from head knowledge to heart knowledge. Uh, a few weeks ago when we, we talked about worship, we talked about giving. That's one of those big things. I know God promises to take care of me and provide. I know he's told me to be a generous and sacrificial giver, but you don't get it until you do it. You don't get it until you give what feels like sacrificial. And then you watch God show up. Then you know something about God experientially. Then you know, you can trust him. Then when the next thing in life happens, you're like, I know God. I know Jesus. He's proved himself worthy over and over. He's proved himself faithful. That's how you get to know God better and better through the word, then through applying it, living it out. Now I had to say one thing real quick, because as we look at verse eight, He says this, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That is a unique phrase that Paul doesn't often use, my Lord. I think he intentionally puts that very intimate. This is my God. Jesus is my Lord, my Father, mine, very personal. And knowing Christ, and we're talking about ambition, and he's gonna get into it even greater about our ambition of knowing God, The danger, the danger always in the church is when you see the goal, you run after it in your own effort. But God said, be still and know that I am God. Be still. Remember Mary and Martha. Mary was was sitting at Jesus' feet, just being there. And Martha was working really hard to do all these things for Jesus. And then Martha came to Jesus and said, tell my sister to get off her butt and help me serve you. And he said, Martha, Martha, she's doing the better thing. She's sitting at my feet. So this ambitious pursuit of knowing God isn't all action. Some, uh, often, I'll tell you this, often it means doing nothing that looks like anything. It means sitting. It means being still and listening. Callie found a quote a couple of weeks ago, and I wish I don't remember where it came from, but you can't hear God in the noise until you learn to hear God in the quiet. And this world is noisy. And so we have to learn to hear him in the quiet. And so if we are going to ambitiously pursue knowing God, it means we are going to have to go against our nature as Americans and we're going to have to chill out. (laughs) We're going to have to be still. We're going to have to actually meditate on scripture. When's the last time you did that? You read just a few verses, something stuck out, you closed it and you just thought about it. That's being quiet, being still and know that I'm God, sitting at his feet. And what's gonna happen is in verse nine. He counts all this as rubbish, verse eight, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He's gonna be found. He's talking about the end. In the end, when Jesus comes back or when we die and go to be with him, we're gonna be found in him, united with Jesus. Very, very, again, intimate, but we're talking eternal life here. Be found in him, this righteousness that he's talking about. The word righteousness means justified, but it means it's a state of being by which one is right before God. It's a state with which you are right with God. You're righteous and you are viewed as righteous because of Jesus. God looks at you and he does not see your sin. That blows me away, but he doesn't see your sin. If you by faith have accepted Jesus as Lord, he looks at you and he goes, clean, holy, white, pure, I see Jesus in you. That's only possible because he looked at Jesus on the cross and he saw your sin and mine on Jesus at the cross. And Jesus took that penalty, but now we're right because of Jesus. And that will work out in right actions But that's the beauty, and it's all based on faith. Paul hits this so hard over and over in every book. The righteousness, not of my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Righteousness from God that depends on faith. Again in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Here's the transition. The transition from you are positionally right with God. You're good. He sees you as good. Someday you're going to be found in him. It's going to be glorious. But now we are becoming like him. The faithful Jesus follower becomes like Jesus. This is in your notes. Knowing Christ means you are becoming like him. It means you are becoming like him. That's what he says there. I may know him, the power of his resurrection The power, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. We should have sung that song. (laughs) The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you so that you can have the power of the resurrection, which is new life, which is freedom from sin, which is freedom from self. It's freedom from getting what I want. It's freedom from, from needing to ambitiously achieve all these things. It's freedom to rest and be still at peace and joy Where God has me, that's the freedom. And freedom from the enslavement to sin. This faith is an active trust. Look at verse 11. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is using, and he's going to move on and use, he likes to use athletic analogies, racing analogies. By all means possible, I'm going to attain the resurrection from the dead. And that's going to come by knowing God, knowing Jesus intimately, and I'm going to pursue it, and he's going to run hard. And if you read Acts and you get to know Paul's life, he did it. He met Jesus on the road, and his whole life changed. And he was shipwrecked uh, four times, I think it is. He was beaten many times. He was flogged. He endured cold. He endured hunger. He endured all these things for the sake of Christ. There were times where he was run out of town, beaten, laid out for dead. He got up and tried to go back in town. This was Paul. He ambitiously pursued knowing God, ran after it. By any means possible, total abandon, all in. Is that you and me? This is convicting to me, I'll be honest do I ambitiously pursue by any means possible? Meaning I miss out on sleep. I love sleep. (laughs) This morning, my alarm went off at six and I was deep. (laughs) And my bed was really comfy. So for me, by any means possible means I'll lose some sleep to spend some time with Jesus. By any means possible, that's what it says. And again, look at Michael Jordan's example of an athletic endeavor. By any means possible, he would get up early and go just take shots. And then he would practice 500 shots. I would be bored after the third one by any means possible. That's the attitude. This is the life of a Jesus follower. Summary so far. far. Paul's great ambition is to know Jesus and be like Jesus in all things. Is that your ambition? Is that your ambition? So then what does a life of a person who is all in for Jesus look like? And he's gonna get into that now. Looking at verse 12, what is the attitude? Now how do we act on that? Paul looks at his own life. Paul, the guy who wrote a good portion of the New Testament, said, "I haven't arrived yet. Although I'm positionally good with God, I'm seen as righteous, my goal is to be righteous in all the power of His resurrection, walking free from sin, uh, ambitiously pursuing the expansion of his kingdom, going, but he says, "I haven't arrived yet." So here's these Judaizers going, "Look at us. We've arrived." We've arrived. Paul says, I haven't arrived yet. And his resume was better than theirs. And he says, I haven't arrived. That takes humility. Listen, the day you think you've arrived, you're in big trouble. Because a disciple, what a disciple is, a disciple, it literally means a learner, a lifelong learner. That's what a disciple is. Someone who is following Jesus, learning from Jesus, patterning their life after Jesus, and they'll never arrive in this life. But that doesn't mean you go, well, I won't arrive so I just will stop pursuing. It means you will pursue because we can progress until the end. But that's what he's saying. I haven't arrived yet. Christian maturity requires a humble recognition for the need to continually grow. Christian maturity requires a humble recognition for the need to continually grow. And he is pressing on, he says, ambitiously pressing on. Uh, Peter says it this way. In 2 Peter 1.5, he says, make every effort to add virtue and knowledge. That's a, a summary, so look it up. 2 Peter 1.5, Peter says, make every effort. Again, this is not an effort to be right with God. Do you get that? This is not an effort to earn salvation. This is Post-salvation, this is Jesus died for me, I love him, now I'm gonna make every effort for my life to be pleasing to him. That's not legalism. Legalism is making every effort to put God in your pocket. Legalism is doing all these things to make God owe you or to make others recognize you and look at you. It's not legalism to go, I see the standard and that's Jesus and I'm gonna do everything to, to meet that standard because I love him. That's not legalism. The mature person knows they don't know everything. It was uh, Socrates is quoted that saying Plato was the smartest man to ever live because he knew he didn't know everything. He knew he hadn't arrived. And then he said Paul says this he says forgetting what lies behind and straining ahead. If you ever watch running the runner that's looks like they're winning, but they turn to look, that looking slows them down and there's been races lost because they turn to look how far ahead and right then somebody passes. Just don't look behind. You know, or if you're, if you're mowing the lawn and you look back, your line's gonna go off. <laughs> don't look back is what he's saying. Previous successes, previous failures, forget it. It's all about what's coming next. Ambitiously strive for what's next. We don't wanna live on the past, but we can do that. We can do that. Ambitiously pursue forward. A mature Jesus follower ambitiously strains toward the goal of knowing Jesus. Of knowing Jesus. Raise your hand if you've seen chariots of fire. Okay. So some of you know the picture. Go home and watch it. It's sometimes boring, but it's worth watching. But this runner is, I mean, he's an all out runner and he just runs goofy, Um, but he won the gold medal, I believe. But the way he runs, he's just going. Um, And it's a great analogy actually with the Christian life because there's a point in the movie where he, he's supposed to, he grew up in China as a missionary kid. And his, his sister says, why are you doing this? You, You should be a missionary. This is kind of a side note, but she says, you should be in China. He said, God has made me for China. Yes. But God also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his glory. And so there's something about running this life for Christ, what he's made you good at, ambitiously pursuing because it glorifies him. All out. Leave it on the field. Did you ever play sports? They said, leave it on the field. (laughs) Don't bring it. Guess what? Leave it in this life. Because the new one's going to come and it's going to be glorious. But we pursue. And what are the tools then? What are the tools that he has given us? Verse 15 says, let those of you who are mature think this way. And by the way, this way is referring to what he just said, that you haven't arrived. So the mature person doesn't think they're fully mature. <laughs> the, the mature person knows they have a long way to go. He says, think this way, verse 15. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So here's what he's saying. If you are really pursuing the goal, ambitiously of knowing Christ, then when you're off, he's gonna show it to you. And guess what? You're gonna be off sometimes. You're not perfect yet. You still are in this flesh. And so there's gonna be times where you get off, but he loves you and he'll show you that. That's what he's saying. When you are, think you're going good, but your real ambition really is pursuing God, then he'll show you, because guess what? You're gonna be in his word some, and he's gonna use his word to show you. That's what Hebrews 4.12 says. The word will open you up like a surgeon and judge your thoughts and intentions and the motives of your heart. And when that happens, what do you do? Well, I know better. I don't really want to change. So the greatest tool I would say is the word, but what are the other tools? So I was thinking about this. This is You know, if we're pursuing a destination, our destination is knowing God. Our destination is actually perfection with God, which we will get. It's going to be great. But if you're going somewhere, what do you need to go there? You're hopping in a car, you have a destination, what do you need? You recognize this? (laughs) This is what used to be used (laughs) before GPS and cell phones. This is a map. Um, When I, when Callie and I first got married, I sold insurance for about three months. Um, door to door. It was awful. Um, but I would have appointments set up for me. So in the morning I would check and I'd have appointments and we lived in Auburn and I had to go to Stockton almost every day and I had to find destinations. And so back then we didn't have self, we didn't have the GPS. And so I had a Rand McNally, if you remember those. And so I would turn and I'd be driving like this, you know, trying to find my destination. We need a map. It's the same on, our, on this journey with Jesus Christ, but our map is the word. Listen, if you don't have a map, like, hey, we get in the car, hey, where do you wanna go? Let's go to Texas. You just start driving, you might find it. You know, if you have a compass, maybe if we really wanna know God, if that's our greatest ambition, we need to use the map, which is the word. But now there's something else that we typically need. So for me, I, uh, I have a horrible sense of direction. Especially if I get in a city where the buildings are tall um, and I can't see where the sun is setting, or I have a horrible sense of direction. So the other thing I need in a destination is a navigator. I need somebody next to me telling me where to go, reading the map for me and helping out. Um, And Callie is normally the navigator and there was a period where she wouldn't do it anymore because she would mess up and then I'd get mad. But it was a team effort to get lost. (laughs) But it was mostly my fault. Because if I'm, you know, looking at the map, I mean, you know, we're gonna get a ticket or you can't be looking at the GPS while you go. You need somebody looking. And yesterday morning we went to the balloon races and she was navigating and we're driving along and Lydia from the backseat says, wasn't that our exit? <laughs> you're 11. You're right. <laughs> so, so we missed it. So the point is we need the map, but we also need not just one other person. We need a team. So when, when Paul says, when you're off, God will show you, guess guess what? A lot of times he's gonna use somebody else to do it. He'll use somebody else probably using the word, using the Bible, showing you, but he'll use somebody else. This Christian life is very, very personal, but it's not private. You hear people say that, oh, my, my relationship with God is just me and God. That's great, that's not biblical. It is personal, very personal, but it's not private because there's some things in you you won't see about yourself. And so you need others that can see that in you. God gives us the word. God gives us each other. This is in your notes. God has provided his word, written the Bible to show us Jesus. This is also in your notes. Spiritual growth is best accomplished in authentic community around the word of God. We don't like that. (laughs) I'll I'll be honest, that one's hard. You're telling me that I need people to actually know me and I need to actually know other people? Yeah. We're better together. We're better as a team. And it's not just you. And we're gonna talk about this in a couple weeks as we talk about the body. But it's not just that you need other people. It's that other people need you. And because we're so committed to this learning and living, we live out God's truth together, not independently. All of the books of the New Testament, for the most part, uh, all the epistles, they're written to specific churches. God designed the church to exist, his body on earth, mega church, all Christians everywhere. But he also chose local churches, local congregations. It's not an accident. It's on purpose, he put us together. And so now it, it is up to us to get in those relationships, to get known, to know others, so that he can do what he wants to do through other people. Um, I asked Mark uh, if Mark would share. There's Mark. Um, can we turn this mic on for, for Mark? I don't need a mic. That's true. No, you have to use the mic so it's recorded. It's being recorded. <laughs> teacher, yeah, teacher voice. Um, but Mark is just going to share about his view of groups or story. Thanks, Mark.
1: don't know me um, Derek asked me to share a little bit about being in in community Uh, I've been a Christian for a long time I've been uh, a part of tons of Bible studies I've led them um, you know had them in my home done all kinds of things and I always kind of found uh, something missing there so Uh, I remember we were up at Hilltop, and my wife says, oh, there's this men's group that you should go to. And I thought, you know what? I'm kind of tired, and I kind of just want to cruise by myself a little bit. I had been leading a a Bible study for four or five years before that, and and, uh, we had been through some things. You know, we'd been around the Word, studied the Word quite a bit, but it was just lacking something. Something was missing, and I kind of felt like, yeah, I don't really want to be involved. So uh, she says, well, you know, at least go once. And then she pushed me in front of Derek and said, oh, here, this is the guy that's running it. So, <laughs> so I kind of felt obligated, but I thought, okay, you know what? She's right. I, I do need a connection, a link. So, so I went. Well, the first, the first night that I went, he's like, okay, so we're going to do something a little strange tonight. Um, this isn't normally what we do. But uh, we have a brother that's, that's in need, um, and uh, his wife was dying. Many of you know who I'm talking about. And all these guys that were part of this group, they all jumped in cars, and we carpooled up to this guy's house, and we met on the front lawn, and we just started to pray. Now, I didn't know this guy at all. You know. And then, and then we got invited into his house, and we were able to pray with, with the family and everything. But I thought, this, this is what community is about this is what being connected with other Christians is about it's not about it's not about a curriculum where you're oh did you read your chapter this week and who's got insights on that it's it's not so much about that it's more about living life together and that's what I saw in this group so I thought okay I'm coming back and uh, I'm glad I did it became a regular regular part of my routine over the last year um, or it's been longer than that, a couple of years. Um, and the group changes constantly. You know, New people come in, people leave, they get busy, they, they go other places, and then people come back. But, but the one thing that underlies the whole thing is that we all know each other, we trust each other, we know each other's strengths, we know each other's weaknesses, and we can rely on each other. Um, so much of the time as men, you are you have expectations put on you by the world you're expected to be strong you're expected to be a leader you're expected you know certain expectations of you as a husband certain expectations as an employee or a boss other expectations and as the leader of your family and we, you can't meet all those expectations you can try but you will not do your best at all of them if you're trying to meet all those things when you're with other Christians in community, other men, they're sharing the same loads and responsibilities that you have on you. And many of those men have experiences, how God brought them through things that you're about to face. So we really need each other. Okay? If, if, you, if you guys, if you men are thinking about uh, coming to a, to a group, I highly recommend it. I know you've heard this before, but until you experience it, until you're ready to open up, be honest, share yourself with somebody else on that level, you're really missing out. It's a blessing beyond compare. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage you, you know, to make a connection into a men's group um, and and become vulnerable. Open yourself up. Take that step. Uh, The men in the group are, you know, they're going to, be honest with you. They're going to guide you in terms of their experience with God and through God's word, through the window of God's word. They're going to support you in prayer. What else could you ask for? That's what you need. So give it a good thought, and I recommend that you come and be there. Thanks.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. The point is if we are going to ambitiously pursue knowing God, we need the Word and we need each other. Authentic community around the Word of God. Authentic, meaning you're known. You share those things. And sometimes it takes time to trust. And that's okay, you know. The, the first time you come to a group and whatever, you're, can I trust these people? But it takes a little time to develop relationships and trust. Uh, but it's both. It's, it's relationships around the Word. You need both. And that's how we will ambitiously pursue knowing God and move forward in that direction and actually grow. Uh, This is in your notes. As all-in ministers, because we are all ministers uh, of the gospel. As all-in ministers, we attend worship services and outpost groups. That's what we call these groups. That help us grow in our relationship with God and others. Here at Common Ground, we are committed to living out God's truth together. That's one of the things that is is about, we're about all the time. We're not about just knowledge. We need knowledge, biblical knowledge, but we're about life change. We're not about a big group. You can get a big group by just doing a good concert or whatever. We're not about a big group. We're about life change for ourselves. That's why our, our mission statement is to expand the kingdom of God in our lives and the world around us. I'm growing in Jesus, you're growing in Jesus, and we're helping others come to know Jesus and grow in Jesus. We do that together around the word. Um, we did all our singing up front, so I'm going to pray. But, but here is our, our application today. If you're not part of a group or you were part of a group last year, we're, we're launching those in two weeks. They start next week. So not this week, but next week. Um, the front table here, we have donuts. That was Katie's idea. Get a donut and look at the groups. Now, there's, uh, there's one men's group that Alex is going to be leading. There's one, one men's group, uh, Callie and I are leading a couples group, Alan and Cindy are leading a, a couples group on marriage. Uh, so there's several groups that do have a curriculum, they're going to be doing something on marriage. Uh, David and Laura are doing financial peace. So if, if you need to learn how to use your money, that's a great group. Um, and so we're going to be looking at that, there's also uh, a women's group at night with Lou and Katie for you ladies who work, and there's two in the day. So there's lots of opportunities to get in relationships around the Word of God, and, and for a little while, it is weird. It is, um, but, but it's worth it. Let me pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much uh, that you have given us the tools we need to know you. You have given us your word. And I thank you that when we, when we do learn it, when we actually go to the word, looking for you to communicate with us, that you, you always step up. Uh, you reveal yourself. You reveal things about us. And then when we choose to actually be obedient and do what the word says, you prove yourself faithful. And I thank you for that. I thank you that we can trust you. God, uh, I, have, I have sometimes wondered what you were thinking by making relationships so central to the Christian life because it's hard. Um, all of us have our own quirks. All of us have our own sin, uh, m- me more than most. Um, and it makes it hard, but yet that's still your plan. And that's your plan for us to pursue the knowledge of you together. God, I pray that we would be faithful, that we would uh, respond to you, that if we're not already in a community of people that know us, that we know, that we get together around your word, that we would look at how you would lead us, how we could get part of a community like that. Father, we, we love you. Be with us this week. I pray that our worship would not stop now, but that we would worship Today, when we go home with our families, we would worship tomorrow as we work, as we go to school, that we would worship in everything that we do because everything we do, we do for you because we love you. We love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are dismissed, but don't leave. Grab a donut, grab some coffee. Callie has more to say. Oh, youth.